It's the LGBT Chat Podcast, a space for LGBTQ friends and allies to share personal stories, current events, and life endeavors. Hosted by Aida Ramirez. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the LGBT Chat Podcast. This is your host, Aida. Joining us today is Ashton and Kiva. And we have a special guest, uh, State Representative of Georgia, Renita. How are you? Shannon, sorry. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making time for us. We so totally appreciate it. Um, Ashton, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me back again. And Renita, it's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you all. So when I first told him that um, we had scheduled you, he said, she's a PK kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. And I think you saw some of that in my launch video. I talked a lot about my dad and just growing up um, with a dad who was both a pastor and also a community organizer. Oh, wow. I know that had to be very amazing. I know you have some of the best features and the best nuggets from home for sure. My dad's a preacher also. So I'm right there with you, though. absolutely absolutely um let's jump right in i i was um i read one of your tweets the other day about a bill you were proposing about um holding police accountable for certain um uh help me out here what's the word i'm looking for um yes for police misconduct yes Yes. So I've worked a lot. So let me back up a little bit. I've been serving in the Georgia House of Representatives since 2017. And um, police accountability issues um, was something that I ran on in order to get get elected into the House. It was one of the issues that I cared a lot about. And in my time as a community organizer before being elected, I had worked on a lot of uh, racial justice issues. And we had had a significant amount of um, police uh, murders and police brutality incidents here in Georgia. And so it was always something that I felt like, you know, elected officials were constantly avoiding um, and not addressing. And so fast forward to, you know, today, after serving six years in the House, you know, I have continued to talk about police accountability issues. Um, I have continued to stand with families who have been affected by police violence. And so I think the quote that you're referencing um, was one that I was just talking about. I was making the point that a lot of folks are really insistent that police accountability issues are about police not having enough training. And the point that I make is that police officers have the same level of training um, when they enter, when they come into encounters with white folks and when they enter white neighborhoods. It's only in Black um, neighborhoods, or we see that it's more likely that when they encounter Black folks, Black folks are more likely to be uh, brutalized or murdered by police. So if the training is the same, that lets us know it's not about training. Right. And I think that's one of the issues that I had when when the whole um, defund the police thing, where it was just, uh, um, they were talking about not just not giving them uh, any funding, but um, allocating money for uh, training. And I never thought about it the way you're, you're, you know, you're saying that, that it's not a training issue. It's another, you know, it's another root issue that we're having with specifically, you know, white officers. Sure. And it's about the value of black lives, which is why we've had to say black lives matter, because I think that police officers understand, I mean, police officers are a part of society and society um, is still reckoning with giving black life the same value that we assign to um, white folks in this country. And so 
if you think about it, the encounters that we're seeing where police brutalize or murder um, Black Americans, it'll it's something as simple as, oh, well, they wanted to arrest somebody and that person took off and ran. What I know is white people are not excited about being arrested either. So it's not like white people are, you know, just like, hey, you know, I'm ready to get arrested. Here are my hands. So if they can figure out how to navigate and how to do proper policing when they encounter white um, folks, I don't understand why that same thing does not get applied to black folks. And the statistics show, I mean, statistics show what has been going on, which is just that black folks are more likely to be brutalized or murdered by police. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if I can uh, interject in uh, for a moment, I, I recently, uh, I'm, Af- I'm an African-American male myself. So in my transitioning of it, I recently was stopped by the police here uh, in Henderson, guys. And I can tell you that for the first time I felt, I'm not going to say fear. I just also understood the fact that I'm a, I am viewed as a black man as I am a black man. That's the first time that I've ever been pulled over that I felt uncomfortable. It was like one o'clock in the morning. He was a younger cop. Uh, I want to say he looked like he may have been fresh out of academy. And the whole time that we were going through our interaction, he had his hand on his gun. And that was a little uh, concerning to me. One, because it was like one o'clock in the morning. And then two, I was there was no one around that could have been a witness to it. And I had to be in the mind frame of, OK, I need to be very mindful of how I move. I need to articulate what I'm saying. I, I have to be like in a whole different headspace so that this interaction doesn't go a different way. And it should not, no one should have to feel, should have to feel that way. They get training, they have great training, just like our military. So I, I definitely commend you and I agree with you. It's, it, it's not about the training with them. They do, the, our, the way that our people are viewed in this country is, is problematic and it's just, it's 2020, it's 2022. We just, we need to be past this. We need to do better as a country. And I'm glad that we have people like you that are, that are in a position to help move things forward on the back end. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'll mention one thing about what you said, because you're so right about a lo- everything that you said. I think it is time for the public to demand that elected officials deal with this issue because you have so many elected officials, regardless of the par- party that they're in, who want to run away from dealing with this issue. And it is something that, you know, really um, just needs to be dealt with. And so I think until voters start demanding that elected officials are, you know, willing to deal with this issue and to come up with real solutions and to, um, you know, advance accountability, because I think that's really the thing that's missing. I think that we're going to continue to not see movement on this issue. Right. Definitely. Uh, We're here in Las Vegas, Renita. We were going, I was going to ask you about uh, the, you were talking about expanding, um, extending uh, health insurance for postpartum from six months to a year. Uh, how Was there an, a, any resolution to that yet? Or is that something that we're still working on? Yes. So um, I come from a reproductive justice background. That was a part of the um, organizing I was doing before being elected. And um, in my time in the House, even though Democrats have been in the minority, one of the things that I'm most proud of that I was able to get done was leading this successful effort to expand postpartum Medicaid. And what that means is um, individuals who are pregnant and who are on Medicaid, currently in most states and even at the federal level, once you give birth, you're kicked off of Medicaid after 60 days, which just seems outrageous. And it really is outrageous because um, children are allowed to remain on Medicaid indefinitely. And so Georgia has had the issue of maternal mortality um, for quite some time now. And we know that black women are three to four times more likely to die 
trying to ca- trying to carry a pregnancy um, or from complications in delivering a pregnancy. And so my work began in 2019 to really um, work with the public to force the Republicans to expand Medicaid. And so because of those efforts, Georgia has six months of um, postpartum Medicaid. So we went from 60 days to six months. And most recently in the past legisl- legislative session, we went to one year. And that's really significant because maternal mortality tracks um, you tracks the time of giving birth up to a year after giving birth. And so to make it plain for folks who maybe feel like hmm, they're not really aware of this issue, think about what happened with Serena Williams. Cause I think that was probably the first time when people really realized that there was an issue with birthing in this country. Serena Williams has more resources and more uh, money than, and more and a higher profile than pretty much anybody we know. And she still had to save her life while she was trying to give birth. And so that's just kind of an example of the type of um, racial bias that we're seeing when it comes to um, trying to deliver healthy pregnancies and also um, deal with the maternal mortality crisis in this country. Thank you for sharing that. I did not know that that was, um, that those numbers or the statistics are that high. That is truly interesting. And congratulations, six months to, um, 60 days to six months is, is huge. Wow. Yeah. And the numbers Thank say you. it, sorry, the numbers say it, the, the mortality rate from a, you know, from a women of color versus, um, is, is insane. And it should not be in this kind in this country, you know, where we strive and we have such a, you know, we hold our name and our country's flag so high and yet we're failing our people constantly like with health insurance, uh, which is what I, I was reading. Um, you're fighting for coverage for, um, our lower income, people of Georgia. Correct. Yes. So part of my platform in running for lieutenant governor is to fully expand Medicaid. um, Because right now, if you are living at more than 100% of the poverty level, which think about it this way, if you're working at McDonald's, you likely do not have health insurance, you're likely making minimum wage, and you don't have access to health insurance, health insurance. Um, Also working at McDonald's, you will make too much in order to get Medicaid. And so expanding Medicaid just means that Um, states would be covering folks who are right there in that middle sweet spot that likely have a minimum wage job and that are working 40 hours a week, but they still do not have access to health care because their employer doesn't provide it and they make too much to actually be on traditional Medicaid. So that's really important because that would really lift up the number of people who have access to care. And we know that access to care is life-saving. Certainly. I work in a school. I work in a charter school and I make above minimum wage and I can't afford health insurance. I get sick, mm-hmm. I have to go to urgent care, I have to spend 200 bucks out of pocket just to get seen. And I have to be really sick to think about it. Um, we were thinking about starting a family. And as a lesbian couple, I, you can appreciate how <laughs> difficult mm-hmm. and expensive that can be. Um, and I just, we maxed out so many credit cards trying. And even insurance, if we were to pay for our insurance, would not cover part, uh, most of it. Yes, I think that you are in the typical situation that I'm describing, which is where people are in this middle spot where they're not making enough that they can afford to um, pay for private insurance on their own, but their employer does not offer it. And so folks are just really having to, they're only getting care when, you know, there's a sense of urgency or they, you know, like you mentioned, when they, when it's time to go to urgent care, when we know that there are many, many um, conditions that sometimes you don't get any type of symptom before it's a real issue. So if you think about heart disease, you think about folks having strokes, a lot of people will report to you, hey, they had a heart attack and they had never had heart issues before in their life. There were no symptoms, um, you know, before they had their first heart attack. And so it's good 
um, obviously for folks to be able to see a doctor um, for preventative care and to just to make sure that you are, you know, having access to care to see if something is brewing, um, you know, as far as your health care, um, any health care issues that may be ongoing that you just don't actually feel in your body. And so that's why it's so important to have access to health care is for that reason. And then also, of course, to take care of issues as they may be ongoing. So urgent care will make sure that you don't die, but urgent care right. is not going to, you know, manage your blood pressure for the rest of the year. And so that's just an example. Ms. Shannon, it's, it's wonderful to be, to be listening to you and uh, talking with you. My, my fiance actually um, lives out here in California now, but she uh, just recently moved from the Decatur area. Um, oh, wow. Years back. So she's, you know, I told her I was, uh, getting on and doing this today. And she's like, Oh, that's so cool. You know? And she, um, <laughs> she actually was, um, remembered your, um, your, and she, she sent me an article. It's in, in Southern cultures where you did an interview mm-hmm. with, um, uh, Miss Greenlee. Yes. And yeah. And you were, and it was, you know, kind of your account about, uh, you're kind of standing your ground for that HB 481. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it was really a cool article. Um, I, sh- I shared it with, uh, with the other folks here uh, last week. And what really, imp- you know, obviously I don't, I don't live in your district and, um, you know, am not really directly affected by, um, you know, your, uh, your work. But what I love about what I read and what I've heard about you is that you're like the type of politician that's like, it doesn't, you're not, you're not going to go sit down with the rest of the party just because that's what the party is, is going to do. And um, I really appreciate that. And it would be awesome if there were, and it, it wouldn't matter to me what a person's beliefs were, if they're standing up for what they believe is right. Right. Um, and what their constituents are telling them that they want, that's what matters. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And if we weren't on air, I would ask your fiance's name because, <laughs> yes, I still represent um, the Decatur area. And yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head for me coming from. And so before I was elected, I was a community organizer and also a successful business executive. I was doing well in the business world. Um, it was the community organizing that really got me to the point where I just felt like, you know what, I'm tired of us not seeing progress on the issues that we want to see progress on. And I feel like if we want to see, I can either continue to stay an activist, which there's nothing wrong with that, or I can get myself into the seat of power to do things differently. And so I ran for office against an incumbent who um, was generally known in the district because his dad was Grady on Sanford and Son, and I had never run for office before. And I just decided to put my community organizing and my business experience together to run a um, smart campaign. And ever since then, you know, serving, it has always been my thinking that I am here for the issues. I only stay because of the issues and people know that I'm resolute in, you know, um, standing up for the issues. So most of my colleagues will call me two things. They'll call me relentless, which is true. And they also call me the bill reader. And they call me that because I am the person who is well known for reading every single piece of legislation, um, you know, that we are going to vote on. And I do that because I know that policy is not just words on a piece of paper. Policy actually has an impact on people's lives. Absolutely. And it does. And thank you for 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 taking the initiative and doing that. It it absolutely has an impact on their lives. And you're being you're being a part of the solution and, and not the problem. 
and I, I wish you were here in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that? Are you sure you don't want to relocate? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's I actually love Vegas. Um, at one point, I would vi- visit Vegas twice a year, and it really was. I wouldn't spend that much money in you know the casinos. I spend like a couple hundred bucks, but I love Vegas because Vegas. I, I love how there's so much effort put into um, you know just the strip and just the town. Like there's just so much effort put into everything. And it's really just a fun, exciting place to be. So that is tempting. (laughs) And it doesn't rain here. Unlike (laughs) your typical human weather. That's right. right. You know, where we live, where we're, I guess all three of us, actually, we live actually in In Vegas now, just south of Vegas. And we were joking about a month ago about how there's memes that go around the internet uh, that, that call us we're hinder tucky and they think we're all country here in the south side of town and so i mean you know we are we are kind of dirty south i guess you could you know come out this way and live in henderson (laughs) (laughs) that's funny asha did you have a question oh no love you you definitely could come out and uh add on to the part of the south um keep i believe you're you're i know you're not from florida but you lived in florida for a little while and i'm actually from louisiana so uh you could definitely come to vegas and it can be the south (laughs) <laughs> I, I grew up in Florida. Yeah, I read about that. Wait, what part? Yeah, yeah. South, North? Central Florida. So I grew up in St. Petersburg. And then um, when I was in the seventh grade, my dad got an opportunity to pastor a church in Lakeland, Florida. So we moved to Lakeland. And then I went to University of Florida in Gainesville. Um, so one of the questions we had prepared was, um, if you've experienced any um, any bias or any struggles during your time in office, just for your skin color or your sexual orientation? Oh, sure. Um, I would say, you know, one of the reasons that so I'm a very, as I mentioned before, for me, it's always about the issue. So I never centered my personal life Mm -hmm. in any of the campaigns that I ran, excuse me, to get elected. I ended up um, coming at. So for me, I didn't really talk about my sexuality when I initially ran because it was all just like, hey, focus on the issues. You don't need to focus on uh, whether or not I'm a nice person. I'm not a believer in people you know, smiling and kissing babies and shaking hands to get elected, but not talking about policy. So everything for me was very policy driven. This is what I want to do. This is what the problem is. This is where we need to go. And I did not spend any time, you know, highlighting my family or highlighting um, anything really personal about me. So we fast forward to 2018 and I'm in 2017, I'm in the legislature and we came upon, um, the issue where Nikki Haley under the Trump administration was representing us at the UN. And this was the article. I don't know if you remember it or not, but there was a big um, issue that came up where a lot of folks were upset with the Trump administration because Nikki Haley had failed to condemn a resolution that basically um, she failed to support a resolution that would condemn other countries for um, giving people the death penalty for being gay. And so it was in that moment that I fully understood why it is important to get personal sometimes and that and exactly why visibility is important, because here we have a, you know, government official who is saying, you know, I'm not going to stand against a country deciding to give someone the death penalty um, because they are gay. And so for me, it was just important to, you know, come out and come out um, in the political space to just make folks understand that number one, you don't know people's sexuality. You don't know, um, you know, what people have going on in their personal lives. You don't, you, you know, you don't, when you're advancing discrimination, you don't even know who you are discriminating against. And it's important for us to have representation because we don't want government to look like, 
you know, um, we don't have representation from our community. And so that was actually the first time where I made the shift of, hey, I don't want to involve myself or involve, um, you know, my personal life in politics. Let's just keep it to the issues. It was the first time where I merged that with, it is very important to tell my personal story in this moment in order to raise visibility for an issue that I care a lot about. And so that was when I came out. It's amazing. Yeah. I had one other thing here for you. I saw in one of your um, ads or campaign ads um, that you like to repurpose things. That is like my favorite thing to do. How long have you been doing that? (laughs) So um, I'm somebody who was doing a lot of house projects. Um, I like to do my own house projects. And then about a year ago, I got into repurposing furniture. I like antiques, um, but sometimes it's really hard to find um, antiques that have been kind of polished up and, you know, um, good to use in the house. And so I, you know, I would look on sites like Etsy and I would see that things that looked like they had just had a fresh coat of paint and maybe the knobs changed um, were selling for so much money. They would put the, put the word vintage on it. And next thing you know, it's a thousand dollars. And so I said, you know what? I like doing projects anyways around the house. Let me start to work on some pieces and um, refinish my own items. And so from there, I ended up um, buying a vintage headboard from Etsy. It was very, very cheap. Brought it home, um, re, re, redid it, like painted it and everything. And it's still the headboard I use to this day. And so the table that you saw in the launch video, I actually got that table from Goodwill. I was dropping off some items and a older um, gentleman was dropping off some items too. And Goodwill said they didn't want to take the table because mm. it was not in perfect condition. And this um, older gentleman looked to me and he said, do you want this table? He said, because my wife is going to kill me if I bring the table back home. She told me to not come back home unless I had gotten rid of this table. And I looked at the table and I said, this is a great table. It just needs a little bit of TLC. And so, um, yeah, I ended up taking it from him and um, refinishing it. So, yeah, that's the story. That's awesome. That is we're also reading about what you're what you're what you're doing with um as far as like voter rights. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So since serving in the House um, since 2017, I've been serving on governmental affairs, which is one of my committee assignment assignments. And that committee deals with election law. So I have been fighting voter suppression bills as they come through the committee. Um, and one of the things that I think a lot of folks paid attention to was in 2020 when the after the presidential election, Um, the Trump campaign was telling the big lie that, you know, there had been an issue with the elections and, you know, there had been fraud in the elections. I mean, they continue to tell this lie today. Um, And so the Trump lawyers came before my committee, um, the governmental affairs committee, and demanded that we throw out all of the votes of Georgians and that the House of Representatives decide on where the electoral votes would go and to give the state to Trump. So here we had Rudy Giuliani uh, with covid and other Trump lawyers appearing before our committee trying to tell us to throw out people's vote. And I was one of two people who stood up to them and told them, no, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to believe your big lie here. And we're not interested in voter suppression. So again, for me, everything is about policy. It is about fighting hard. And it is about making sure that the folks who elect me don't have to babysit me and that they know I'm always fighting for them. I'm originally from New York. And um, I remember after 9-11, uh, Giuliani was in office and he um, he was trying to get um, an extension <laughs> back then before Bloomberg <laughs> got in. Um, so thank God that. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, but yeah, voting, protecting voting rights and fighting voter suppression has definitely been a constant um, thing that I've done in my time um, serving in the House. And, you know, like I always tell folks, I appreciate the opportunity to fight on behalf of all of us. And I um, am just so humbled all the time that people would trust me to fight for them. Thank you so much for making time for us. Is there anything else um, that we can share with our, our listeners in Georgia? No, just that, you know, we've got the primary election coming up. It's May 24th. Um, I am running for lieutenant governor. Um, you know, if you want to support the campaign, if you like what you heard today, please go to my website at RenitaShannon.com. That's Renita with two T's. And there you can support the campaign. And we'll add that on the show notes for you guys. You guys just click on the link and be redirected to her um, to her website. Um, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Renita. And the best of luck to you. But I, I know that you have this. I am I am voting for you in Las Vegas. So I, <laughs> when you make your way here, you'll get my vote still. I appreciate it all. Thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you all. All righty. Take care. Bye. 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 That was awesome. What were some of your takeaways from this, guys? Listen, I honestly wanted to ask her if she was single. It, I was uh, so no, close. No, she's not. <laughs> Oh, she's not? I figured she wasn't. <laughs> she's a beautiful family. This was amazing, though. This was It was great to hear, uh, to to be able to hear a representative that she's very knowledgeable. She's she's in tune with the community. She's knowledgeable about, about her state. She's knowledgeable about her responsibilities. And that's beautiful because we know we have many politicians that are not there. So it was refreshing to hear. It and, really was. Right. And the responsibilities that she, she wants to take on. Um, oh, definitely. Also, it's also great. No, I just, I was sorry that I missed the first part because I, um, yeah, that I was, wasn't able to, to chime in when she was talking about what she's doing um, with the, the policing, um, her efforts there. I, you know, I've, it's a pretty personal um uh, close to home thing for me. My son just turned 13 a few weeks ago and he happens to be black. And, you know, as he gets older, you know, the, you know, he's, he's starting to get to that age where I see people, they're starting to look at him a little bit different when we're out in the store, you know, different things like that. And, you know, my, I come from a mixed family. My, my, uh, my brother and sister um, are black. My father's black. Um, you know, I don't, I don't look too black, but, (laughs) um, you know, I, and, but my younger brother and sister, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty dark. And, you know, I, as they were growing up, you know, being with them and actually being able to see the difference between I'm, I'm standing right next to them and we're in the same place doing the same thing. And it's automatically assumed that, you know, my sister is going to shoplift. And, you know, and I remember like, why, why is this happening? Um, you know, and thinking about that and it, it didn't occur to me until I got a little bit older that that's what was going on, you know, and, and that stuff is so real, you know, and, and my brother, you know, as he was, he's in his thirties now, but as he was growing up, you know, the things that he experienced, we lived in St. Pete, um, where she mentioned, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he got roughed up several times, just guilty by guilty by skin color, you know? Right. And, 
you know, I, any efforts that are going on that can try to change that situation, you know, personally for me, I mean, that's my baby sitting in there, you know. And the conversations that I imagine that you're going to need to have um, I, you know, we, as he's growing. We've had, you know, we, we had to go through the, the discussion of, you know, when he was little and stuff, you know, he, he loves he loves his Nerf guns and his play guns and things like that, you know, and, you know, I once once he gets to be about, you know, maybe about 10, I guess, you know, I'm like, ah, you can't you don't don't take that to the park with you. You know, right. we always go out to the parks and stuff like that. And I'm like, just, you know, don't don't point it out the window, you know, don't. I mean, I hate to have to be like that, you know, but it's, it's real that it's real. Yeah. You know, that, that it's, and it's, yeah. So it's a, it's a really, I appreciate anybody that's trying to step in and change some things. And I remember reading from her bill specifically, um, was, um, holding cops accountable or police officers accountable for certain, um, uh, tactics that they use while restraining people, specifically those that restrict airways, um, which is something that I've never understood. Um, like if you need to stop someone that, you know, that has a weapon, like why can't you shoot them in the leg? (laughs) You know, like, why can't you like shoot them in the arm where they're holding the weapon? I mean, like I understand certain situations. I, I haven't been trained. I don't understand why police officers do the things they do. And I commend them. And for the most part, I respect um, what the police, you know, the hard work and, and the sacrifice that they do when they go out there, because, you know, honestly, they're, they're being, um, they're literally exposed to anyone, black, white, anybody. Um, but to, to, to kill someone while trying to restrict them while trying to, um, arrest them, it's just not acceptable in any way. You're not there to be judging and, and, you know, and, and, I just, I just, I don't understand it. Um, I, growing up as a little girl of color in New York, I remember like um, being followed, like what you were mentioning, um, there, while we went out shopping, um, um, watching women like hold on to their bags, um, you know, white women hold on to their bags when I got on the train near them or walk a little faster or, you know, tug away at their, their purses or whatever. Um, and, and getting pulled over the few times that I did in New York for one time, I remember I, I had left work late um, and, you know, it gets dark on the East Coast or even here, too, after four o'clock during the winter. And I remember I, uh, I heard the police um, siren and I pull over. I'm like, is it with me? And obviously it's with me. So I pull over. And then I realized that my lights weren't on. I had a really old Honda Accord. It was like my first car. It was a giveaway, a hand-me-down from one of our friends. And it doesn't like automatically turn its lights on <laughs> when it's like dark. And he was like, your lights are off. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And he was very kind and very friendly. But knowing that I was going to have an encounter with the police, I had palpitations. I couldn't drive for at least an hour and a half. And that's me, a Latina woman of color. I can only imagine what black folks are feeling when they hear those sounds. I mean, I could not breathe for an hour and a half. I had to get my inhaler. So, like, I I sympathize. Like, I, you know, my heart breaks. Look, I had, you know, the only experience that I've ever had personally that I, it, it was, like, blasted into my face. And I feel, uh, I feel like I finally understood. Um, I, 
So back in the day when I was younger in my career in the aerospace industry, I used to do um, contract work and I would go to different, uh, different places. Well, one, one time I got a contract in Dothan, Alabama in Ashton, you probably are familiar, more familiar with that area. Um, Alabama. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's literally like in the middle of nowhere and you are, you are like an hour away from uh, the beach in Florida, up on the Florida panhandle. So that was nice, but um, it's a little tiny town. And I mean, you definitely feel, you know, I, I, I told my mom when I call, I remember telling my mom when I called her, cause I'd never been anywhere like that before I called her and I'm like, you know what, this place is so ass backwards. They even the black people just against black people. Like, I mean, I've, you know, I'm from the North, like big city, like we don't, you know, and it was, it was just crazy. But I, so, you know, I mean, I, I was a young lesbian. I roll up in there with my truck, with my, uh, you know, gay flag sticker on the back. And I was, I had to be at work at like six o'clock in the morning. And it was a little drive kind of out through the, out to the country. And um, I got pulled over one morning. And, you know, and I always see the cops like on this road, you know, and I got pulled over one morning and the cop comes up. I'm like, I was speeding or nothing. I don't know what to, you know, what to think. I was only like 25 years old. And um, he comes up and he's like, uh, I'm like, you know, what's the problem, whatever. And he's like, he's like, I see that uh, sticker you got there on the back of your truck. What does that mean? And I was like, well, I mean, what do you think it means? What do, what do you? what does it look like to you? And he goes, that's like some of that gay shit, isn't it? And I was like, well, you know, I said where I'm from, you know, we all wear, we all, we all have stickers, you know, we all wear, he goes, well, we don't do that around here. And I was like, well, I mean, I was scared. I mean, this dude had me, I mean, I was a young person today. I'd, I'd be, I'd, you know, I'm old enough. I could like pretend I could all of a sudden like transform into a Karen or something, you know, <laughs> but I mean, that, that day, I mean, I was, I was terrified. Like, is this guy going to, he intimidated the hell out of me. And he pulled me over three more times while I, I was there for like a six month contract. Wow. And each time he pulled me over, he would, and there was really no other way. I even looked at a map cause we didn't have like the, this was the early nineties. Mm-hmm. We didn't have like the GPS, you know, sitting around back then I even looked on the map for a different way to go and there was just no way I mean unless I want to go like an hour out of my way and but I mean that that's that it was really scary and that's the closest I've ever experienced to something you know like that and you know I that that automatic assumption you know because of something about your person whether you know it's your your color or, you know, your sex or. Right. I can definitely tell you guys, I I had growing up in the South, um, growing, growing up in the South, we, every, every single Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at our local Walmart, they had a white bus, like it was a school bus, like, you know, the school bus that the children ride on, but it was painted all white. Every because we have freedom of speech in this great country, uh, the the KKK would be at the Walmart with a table outside the Walmart in their full regalia, trying to get people to sign up. In this great country that we live in, 
imagine being a kid, a person of color, especially going to your local Walmart. And because there's freedom of speech, you're able to see this in the South and there's nothing you can do about it. Hate speech. There's nothing. It's not freedom of speech. It's hate speech in that instance. It's, it's definitely hate speech, but that's what it's backed and defended by uh, to allow them to be able to do that. And it's, oh man, I, it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's 2022. We should definitely be past this. But the only way that we can get past this with the police is if we start holding them accountable. Start yeah. doing to them, uh, take take their jobs. If, if you've killed someone, you don't need to be put on administrative leave with pay, for God's sake. Seriously. Uh, come on. That's crazy. Seriously. That's absolutely crazy. That was well, what happened with, uh, Was uh, I'm sorry if I'm missing his name, Oscar... In uh, Oakland, he was uh, shot New Year's Eve, um, early 2000s, I think, mid-2000s. Um, I think so. He, um, somebody had, there was an altercation on the train, and he was handcuffed. He started to walk, um, and he started to walk away. They put him back. They restrained him. And then they shoot him in the back. It ricochets off the floor and hits him in the lungs. And then... And then they hesitate to get medical assistance, right? So I think he was, I don't know how long he was lying on the ground, bleeding out, um, but he was there for a while. Um, and the kind of things that we take pride in saying, um, this beautiful country where we have freedom of speech, where we can say what we want and do what we want or right. whatever, um, it's it's not something that I'm proud of. It's not something, I mean, saying that we have the worst police system and that we have um, such you know, racism in 2022 and that our kids are getting shitty ass education in yes. this beautiful nation. I mean, I have eight year olds that don't know how to spell their names. I have eight year olds that think three plus zero equals four. I mean, wow. come on. <laughs> Is this the America you so dream for? I mean, I, I expect more from this country um, because I can appreciate how hard it was where I came from. And where my family came from. So I am not being um, anti-American. If anything, I'm saying that we should be better. You know, that I believe in this country and that we should be doing a lot better. Um, and I wanted to say, Ashton, <laughs> nice to see you finally. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you also. Nice to see you also. I just I figured I'd hop on the video uh, since uh, Miss Shannon was gone. But and yes, it's nice to see you guys nice to also. see all the three of us together. Angel had a um, work schedule he couldn't get out of, but he of wanted course. to be here. The other thing I wanted to ask you guys was um, I was a little starstruck there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, we saw that. Anyone we saw else? that. You Kiva, what's going on with you? You're going away? Um, You're having well, fun? I, I, do, I mean, I uh, this is the season for me to be out doing, uh, I guide some backpacking trips. Nice. And stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'm taking off next week and I'll be gone for. Nice. Um, you enjoy that. I know you won't have any Wi-Fi or, or any. Uh, <laughs> We detached from the world for a little bit, but that's much needed. So funny story, funny story. We were out in the Poconos, um, like Philadelphia Poconos. I don't know if there are any Poconos anywhere else, but (laughs) we're we're out in the Poconos and um, uh, we were struggling with the Wi-Fi. And somebody suggested that we open the windows to let the Wi-Fi in. What? <laughs> we were all dying of hysteria. I was in a grocery store a couple of years ago, and these two ladies were in front of me. And I don't know why 
that has nothing to do with Wi-Fi or the Poconos. Uh, but the, this, the lady in front of me was telling the other lady, uh, yeah, I had to get uh, my appendix out. And she was like talking about how it felt because the lady was like, well, how does it feel like when you have that happen? And she's like touching her left side. Right. And she's like, you know, well, right here it was, you know, and she's describing the feeling and, um, the other lady was like, well, I thought that your appendix was on your right side. And she goes, no, it was the le- it was the one on the left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God. And the other lady was like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, she was for real like, oh, wow, you just enlightened me with new information. <laughs> like, oh, God, help us. Well, there you have it, folks. We have a right and a left appendix, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Kiva, um, uh, Ashton and I are going to um, Podcast Movement Meetup on Tuesday. I don't know if you're still in town, but if you are and you'd like to join in, let us know. Where you're doing it on Tuesday? It's Tuesday from 7 to 9. Uh, it's not our thing. It's called Podcast Movement. Um, and they do great podcasting um, uh, like conferences throughout the states. And um, they're doing a free event, which is awesome because I can never afford to go um, to any of their stuff. So um, something I'm looking forward to. I should be, I should be, I already have my stuff packed for my trip. Awesome. Look at you. So I'm just waiting. Proactive. (laughs) I love that. That's the only thing I'm proactive about is when I'm (laughs) You guys have a few more minutes or do you, do we have to cut it here? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I got a few more minutes. Awesome. We were, uh, Ashton and I were talking about uh, times in our lives when we've had to move on and how we've experienced, uh, how we've, you know, come through through the other side of, of having to move on um, from anything in life, just in general, um, relationships, moving across the states, <laughs> um, switching jobs, careers, midlife. Any of you all have any experience in that? All of the above. <laughs> check, check, I think check. It's same. What we all have. So after my second divorce, uh, not to air my dirt, <laughs> or uh, my uh, freedom rather than dirt, um, I remember thinking like, wow, like I'm in my mid thirties. Um, this is the second time I'm going through this. Like I am such a failure. And then somebody spoke to me and I, one of my closest friends, and she's like, no, like that makes you a great person that you can acknowledge and recognize the bad things that are going around and you're willing to change them. And it just changed my perspective on how I was viewing myself um, in that situation. Um, it's nice to have friends. <laughs> mm. I, yeah, it does. It's I definitely just... nice to have friends for sure. For sure. I think I've, I, well, I know I've been in those situations also. And like we talked about, um, on the initial hello podcast, um, for me, my, my thinking as I've gotten older has just been, okay, everything isn't meant to be bad. It may look bad, but what am I supposed to get from this? Because it has to be bigger and better at some point. It's just building on top of it. So I've moved on from careers, uh, even when I didn't want to, relationships. Uh, I have not had a second marriage, just one. So I'm, I'm divorced also, but only, only one. Um, you know, you just, you, you keep it pushing and you just find different, I find different things to, to keep me motivated and, and put that energy toward and geared towards. 
because uh, moving on can be very hurtful. It can be very traumatic to people. You know, it can be, it can take some people a month, 30 days, 60 days. It can take some people a really long time, but it's healthy, it's necessary, and it happens. And I think ultimately we, we gain something from it and become better from it uh, while also still being able to enjoy the good that was in it. Um, I don't necessarily know if I want to get married again right now in 2022, you know, with the world and just how dating is going. Um, but I, I took from it that I, I was able to be a, a great husband at the time. And going forward, if I do get married, I'll be an even better husband, you know, um, and I can cherish those moments and those great moments that were there. But, you know, there was also a lot of pain with it. But life goes on and you just you just get better. Moving on is necessary, and 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 it, it's definitely, uh, it just gets you to a better place. Yeah, Kiva, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I, what what you said about the, you know, oh, am I a failure? You know, where you you were thinking those thoughts. You know, I actually um, got married. Um, I was married for almost twenty years. Wow. Um, and in twenty nineteen, we, you know. I, I finally was like, I'm done, you know, and it wow. was, and we actually, um, you know, we adopted, we adopted, uh, my son together, um, and, um, you know, as an infant and, uh, once we part, you know, and it was in kind of a mutual agreement where at least looking back on it now, it was like, she was like, well, yeah, I agree. Let's, we're, we don't, we don't really have a relationship anymore. And, it just kind of, you know, went away, dwindled over time, you know, uh, to not get into any of the specifics, but, um, you know, that, that wasn't so hard for me. I did, you know, I, I did have a lot of thoughts about, man, I, you know, I, I should have, I should have ended this looking back, you know, in hindsight, like I should have ended this like way before now. And that's kind of where I felt almost like, the failure part. And like, I really had to work through that in therapy, you know, to be like, why did I stick around knowing? Cause it was really bad for like a long time, a long time. And when you're in it, you don't realize just how bad it is. You know, it was kind of like low key. We didn't have arguments and a bunch of drama. It was just like, really like kind of psychologically not good. Um, but you know, I, I didn't feel so much, so much, uh, personal outside of that, just like kind of regret that I didn't end it sooner. Um, but what really, uh, has been difficult for me about all of that is within like six months after we, um, got a divorce, she, uh, stepped out the door and has not had any contact with our son since. Um, and refuses to do that. And that really, um, you know, for me personally, I'm like, I don't care if I ever see you again for the rest of my life. But, you know, for my son, that has been so difficult for him to work through. Um, And just, you know, it's been three years. And, you know, he's just now got to the point that I feel like he's finally found some peace inside of himself, you know, and sometimes I think it's just hard to move on from certain things and you'll always carry a piece of that with you, you know, um, and 
you know, just, just, I was just thinking about that as you were talking about the marriage thing, but you know, yeah. now I'm, and I didn't think I'd ever get married again, you know, but here I am. And, um, I'm pretty sure this is the, this is the this right is one. <laughs> Woohoo! Like, like, uh, I, I'm pretty positive. Yeah. I just realized, I think my mic was muted during one of the times I, I was asking her something and, and I appreciate you, uh, Ashton for jumping in there uh, during my moment of silence because I, I don't think no you guys worries. heard anything. Um, I remember during, after that divorce, um, second guessing myself so much. I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Is this what I want to do with little things and big things at the same time? So it, it definitely, um, affected me and traumatized me for a while. Um, moving on is, is a journey that, um, we all have to take in one way or another, and um, it's how we, we come out of the other side that defines, I guess, um, our character um, and, and who we are as um, evolving people. Um, I think that's something that we're really good at is evolving um, and adapting. Some others better than others, right? Um, <laughs> but as human beings, I think we, we, can, we can adapt pretty well. Definitely. It seems like there's so many different, I mean, over time, like you just kind of, you either, you either realize that it's a, it's like a rolling stone, you know, it's going to be changing all the time. Pieces will fall off, you know, pick up other, pick up some mud here and there, you know, just kind of like that. And that's just the way life goes and it, it is. And, you know, just, and I see so many people resist it, you know, it's like they're, they can't just accept that that things are, things are going to be different, you know, and it's going to, it's, you don't know, you don't know what that different is going to be. It's just like death. Like, you know, you're going to die eventually, you know? So uh, is it really necessary to be that afraid of it? Because it happens to every single person, every single person dies. (laughs) Exactly. why, Why do we have, why are we so afraid of that? Why, you know, I, I, you know, that's something that I, as an adult, I feel like I can say I'm an adult now. I don't think I was two years ago. Um, was coming to terms with with that, with death, that we're not here forever. And it changes your perspective on the things that you do and the way you act and the way you treat people people around you. Um, it's like this, this growing um, thing inside you that finally goes, aha, you know, like you understand it, you understand your purpose and you understand that everything's, you know, things aren't here forever. Um and I and you see things with so much beauty, um, and it makes you feel deeper about things. Um, I think I, we were on a on a flight with like a lot of turbulence, and I was asleep. And my fiance is like, "Wake up, wake up!" There's a, I'm like, "Listen, if we're going down, I'd rather go down sleeping. <laughs> like, do not wake me for turbulence." Um, yeah, let me stay asleep, <laughs> right? Um, but no, like it, it's just it's a beautiful thing accepting that, accepting that we're all dust in there. So if I die tomorrow, I'm okay with what I did today and with what I did yesterday. Um, uh, Ashton, how do you feel about death? Uh, I think that, um, listen, I, I think that for me, I feel like the biggest fear that people have about death is the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what's on the other side. We like to, uh, we have some research. Um, we like to think that Whatever we, whatever our beliefs are, where they are, we just we we like to to think the best, you know. But no one has really 
been in state for a long period of time to be able to come back and say, okay, guys, so this is what it looks like. So I think for me, the biggest thing is the unknown. Um, I just got to go with what I feel spiritually and where I'm spiritually connected um, and kind of hope for the best. I don't, I feel like I'm going to ride this train and I'm going to ride it until it comes off the track, until the tracks are no longer there, uh, until the paint starts to rust. Um, Because you, again, you just don't know what's, what's after death. So right. while I'm alive I, and, and every day is a blessing, uh, I'm going to do the things that I should do as a great human and love people. I am going to have fun and see as much of this beautiful earth as I possibly can uh, before I'm old and gray and, you know, in diapers. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of uh, kind of where I stand on it. And I, I've been blessed to have experienced many people that have lived in so many different places and just different cultures. And I love being around diversity. So it's a blessing within itself to be able to hear people like, like you and, and, you know, like Kiva and like, and like Ms. Shannon and, and everyone else that I've been exposed to, to hear their journeys and where they've come from and how mm-hmm. they've lived. And it's refreshing because uh, something that seems so small to me, I can hear, the universe will send it to me in a way that I'm not even expecting it just yeah. for confirmation or whatever else, you know, and it's, it's, it's just really beautiful to be able to experience it. I've had so much happen in life that at this point, I, I just refuse to allow things to keep me down and let energy be, let my energy be negative. I'm probably sometimes a little too positive. Not that I don't get mad. Nothing we all wrong with that. human, but I, I definitely try to always, 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 be happy. I've, I, I've prayed for days to be at this point, to be able, especially in my transition, to be confident and to be happy and to not care what anyone's opinion is. It took Ashton a long time to get to this point. So for however many days I have here left, I'm just going to love and I'm going to ride this bad boy until the wheels fall off. And again, I'd like to reference you guys to Everybody's Free by Baz Luhrmann. It is the song that everyone needs to hear. Um, I'll add the link <laughs> to the YouTube to um, our show notes along with everybody else, everything else. Guys, we've covered uh, justice reform. We've covered health coverage. We've covered left and right appendix, death, moving on, opening the window for more Wi-Fi. I mean, what else? Where, what else do you want from us? Um, with that said, I'm going to just jingle you guys through our quote time time. This is the quote time, the quote time, quote time. <laughs> now you, that you've experienced I that <laughs> I, I definitely have a quote to put in there to put in there and it and it really does feed straight off of what Ashton was just talking about um I loved loved what you had to say I loved the positivity in your voice you can tell you really believe it and um I there's a there's a kid that was in the early it was like back in the 1920-ish time frame he was from LA his name was Everett Ruiz and um, he his he convinced his parents. His parents was kind of, were kind of gypsy like, you know. And he convinced his parents to let him leave L.A. and go over here to Utah to the Canyon Country and like where the Navajo live. And he took all his took his his stuff on his back and went walking through the desert. And he did this for like four or five years. And eventually, and he wrote all these letters back home. 
And so there's a book that's called On Desert Trails, and it's all of his letters that he sent back home to like his brother and his parents and stuff like that. And just so awesome, this young person just leaves society and just goes and does this thing. But he's, he's kind of like a hero to me. But one of his quotes, and it's really simple, that he put in a letter to his brother was, um, while I'm alive, I intend to live. Wow. And that's it. I love it's it. It's simple, you know, and there's so much thought behind that. Um, but Ashton, you, you reminded me of that quote when you were talking. So the, the quote, awesome. the quote I was reading, um, was, is by, uh, Justice Ginsburg. Uh, whatever you choose to do, leave tracks. That means don't do it just for yourself. You'll want to leave the world a little better for you having living, for you having lived in it. Uh, we miss that woman so much. That is beautiful. I love it. All right, lovely people. Until next time, everybody. Happy trails. Happy trails. Happy trails. Bye. Thanks for listening to the LGBT chat. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, the grass is always greener where you water it. Till next time.